You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Friends, glad you could join us today. We're going to talk about if 2021 is in fact the worst market that we've seen in the last 50 years to own a rental apartment in the city. We're going to talk a little bit about what those stats have to say and what do realtors look at as the next housing bubble or where is there a frenzy in the GTA? This comes off a promise in our last episode. I said we're going to talk about this at length and where is there a bubble? Where do we see that kind of formulating? And is there downtown condo fatigue? Or are condos on fire right now? There's a bit of this back and forth and people are confused on what does it feel like to sell as a condo owner in our city? We're going to talk about all of that. And then we get mad at people who have vacant homes. In fact, let's tax them, right? Like you, you, you terrible people holding up all this housing supply. But then we find ourselves in a situation where we have the worst vacancy rates in the last 50 years. Rental apartments are sitting absolutely quiet these days. I haven't seen silence like this since I called my wife and said I'd pick up burgers and fries on the way home from work. I think she's beginning to regret letting me name the twins. <laughs> I don't have twins. It's not as funny. We'd like to have some fun along the way. If we're going to stay here for the next little bit, might as well enjoy ourselves. If you guys could, please download the last five episodes and leave us an iTunes review or, and or rating. And also, I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe we'll hit a target today. If we can get 50 likes on our YouTube video, any of you guys who've been following us on YouTube, please jump in and add that support. It helps spread the channel and uh, it makes all of the time and planning and putting this together worth it. Okay, so is 2021 the worst time to own a Toronto rental apartment in 50 years? Nobody's saying it is. But if we have terrible vacancy rates, which we do, and we're going to talk about that, it calls into question whether being a landlord is even worth it in our city. Listen to these numbers, guys. The vacancy rate reached, this is a Now Toronto article, 5.7% by the end of 2020, compared to 1.1% in the same period of last year. Just to put that into perspective, when we're looking at properties out west, like when I'm looking and comparing against different markets, when I start to see things creeping over 5%, I'm not really that interested as an investor. That is a high risk investment. And if we're starting to see vacancy rates here in Toronto creeping well over 5 that should signal some alarm bells, guys. It really should. And this comes from an urbanation survey of purpose-built rental apartments built since 2005, where they get this 5.7% in the fourth quarter of 2020. But let's look at the GTA. Let's go a little bit further out. Overall, the vacancy rate in the GTA is still at 4.6%, up from 1% in the fourth quarter of 2019. These aren't great numbers. They're not bad, but relative to the ones, 2%, the heat, actually, we've seen it they don't say it here, but we've seen that below 1%, in fact. 905 regions are performing the best, where they're saying that the average rent decrease in the 905 were least, with 2% vacancy rates in Q4 2020, which was 0.8% in 2019. So it's still gotten a little bit more open for tenants, a little bit easier, a little harder on the landlords, but rent only dropped 2.2% in the 905. So clearly, the closer you are to downtown, the 416 in Old Toronto, the more difficult it is to own an apartment building. Now, average condo rents, where are those at? Just as a recap, if you've missed our past shows, they've declined 
14% in the GTA. And that drop, they say, though, comes with record lease transactions in the GTA, which increased 25% in 2020. It went up 25%, and yet still we have rates down 14%. Kind of confusing. I'm not going to get too far into that today, but if you followed our channel for a while, you're familiar with kind of all of these dynamics that are happening. What I do want to talk about, though, is new builds because they've got some interesting info on this article. There are seven new purpose-built rental apartments that were completed in 2020. Check this out. By the end of the year, the new buildings were occupied an average of 44%. Sounds low. When you hear the numbers from last year, it is in fact low because in 2019, 11 new buildings came on and they were 70% occupied by the end of that year. So even the new construction units are having trouble with filling. These are purpose-built rental apartments that are struggling. Hence, we get incentives, which we'll talk about in a minute. And when we look to 2021, I get this from a blog TO article, there's a total of 18 new purpose-built rentals coming and slated for 2021, which would result in just under 5,000 new units hitting the market, the highest number recorded since 1993. <laughs> good year. What a good year it was. I think I was maybe just getting out of diapers. <laughs> so are we at an upswing now? Because listen to this, quote, two thirds of all lease activity in 2020 occurred during the second half of the year as renters took advantage of rent discounts. People have wised up to the discounts that are available and a lot of the activity that we've experienced to hit these record numbers, they happen in the second half. We're playing catch up as it were. But I want to talk about people are, they're taking a haircut, put it that way. People are taking, landlords out there taking a haircut. Good day, sir. How would you like your haircut? <laughs> in silence <laughs> so it's true and it's got some landlords probably not too happy about it but it's the reality renting an apartment in toronto is coming with more and more perks as landlords struggle to fill their vacant units vacant listings listen to some of these incentives some properties like a building on castle frank are offering one month rent free a spadina road listing one ups that by offering free rent until march plus one year of free internet then there's an Avenue Road building trying to lure tenants with first month rent free on a one bedroom 13 month lease plus a $200 gift card. Ooh, big spender. There are other perks like cash back or skipping the last month's rent deposit. These tactics aren't new, but they're becoming increasingly popular. And as we've been tracking this through COVID, we've seen that rising and rising. There's move-ins incentives now are becoming now common on newer units as well. Interesting. I guess the ultimate question is, do they work? Do they actually work? They say here, there's no direct evidence that incentives do a good job in enticing potential renters, but the increase in offers from landlords would suggest that they do. I'm sure some people out there, they wish the landlords giving freebies would just zip their lip, man, right? Silence is gold, duct tape is silver. <laughs> Shut up, stop telling that there's discounts especially if you're trying to rent your unit. But I will say from my experience, I do find that these incentives, they work. We've used them on past, on past listings that I've helped with investor clients. Now that said, you have to promote them properly because if the person's already looking at their unit, they're already moving ahead, giving an incentive doesn't really take you anywhere. But if you can structure the listing and as it, use it as a way to get people to come and visit your listing, then I would agree, yes, it does. We've done it. Okay, so we're gonna get away from Toronto and I guess the question is still up in the air. Is this the worst time to own an apartment building in Toronto? I don't know. There's crazy frenzy. We talk, we've talked to several commercial multifamily apartment investors, and there's more to come in the coming weeks. But all of that to say, where is there a bubble? 
because you think, yeah, then, I mean, does that really speak to a bubble that people are kind of, you know, they're, they're struggling downtown? Not really. Now, a couple days back, we did our podcast and I said, we're going to talk about where there is a bubble forming, if at all. I promised that we were going to talk about that. And here it is today. Housing bubble, frenzies. Where is this taking place? So let's look at Canada. Globalnews.ca article reads, Canada's housing market closed 2020 with a bang. The number of existing properties that changed hands in December was 47% higher than in December. I'll say that again. Number of existing properties that changed hands, number of sales, was up almost 50% in one year. The largest year-over-year increase in 11 years. The last time Canada saw a similar real estate frenzy was in 2016 which set the previous record for homes sold in a year and early 2017 saw year over year benchmark price gains of more than 15%. Now we know history has a beautiful way of repeating itself. I heard Miley Cyrus has taken on a new science of the lamb reboot. <laughs> she plays Hannibal Montanable. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I, to me, that's funny. It, hopefully you guys are getting humor out of me enjoying my own jokes. I mean, that's half the fun. But I mean, if we're talking about the Silence of the Lamb, we should call it Silence of the Lamps. No? It's quite a dark film. <laughs> All right. So this time, the property appreciation, this potential risk is happening not in Vancouver, not in Toronto, two of the priciest markets, but in areas where at least until recently they were affordable. Right, So, quote, bubble-like conditions, a combination of price increases of 20% or more, coupled with growing anxiety among prospective home buyers being priced out of the market if they don't jump in soon. Sounds like a bubble. I mean, if you were going to describe the, the touchy-feeliness of a bubble, those would be some of the things that you'd point to. Quote, it's anxiety from buyers who feel like it doesn't matter what they pay for a home because it's going to be worth 100000 more in six months. And you know why they think that? Because if you look back just that in the recent past, that's what's been happening. We're going to give you some examples. Barring more example sh economic shocks, 2021 will carry on much like 2020. This is the expectation. Full of bidding wars, escalating prices, and exasperated buyers unable to find a home they can't afford. Do you blame them? Do you blame them? So we're starting in these suburb communities, starting to see the, the workings of what could be a housing bubble. Better dwelling, not quick to pull the housing bubble type of polls here. They actually point to, it actually is rural properties of the problem. The article is called Ontario's most popular real estate market is now rural while people flee Toronto. We talked about people leaving Toronto. There's been, I feel like this is a theme of the year. There's nothing worse than young people leaving, Right. Actually, can I tell you an Amish joke? No. <laughs> what goes clip clop, clip clop, and then silence? A drive-by shunning. <laughs> uh, all right. Statistics Canada data shows intra-provincial migration for 2020. We've covered this. I'm not going to get into all of it. I'm just going to kind of talk about the things we haven't spoke of. Rural regions are showing the biggest net inflows. We know Toronto's got the biggest outflows. These rural country or cities, sorry, in Ontario are getting the biggest inflows of people in Ontario relocating. Although almost everywhere in Ontario saw more people arrive than leave, Toronto being one of the few and notable exceptions. I love how they leave it there because if we if you go back a couple of days we talked about how Toronto is still net up. Right, we had a population increase even with the knockdown in immigration. But they have I, why I wanted to point to that is they have a very good counterpoint that I think is worth noting as well. Outflows tend to show locals see better value or opportunities in other places. Right? People are thinking, you know what? I'm gonna go out to Oshawa. 
better value. Immigration can patch that issue in the near term. However, eventually immigrants just move on to the more attractive region. I don't know. Do they come to the Toronto just to leave for places like Oshawa? I don't know if that's a long-term trend. It's definitely something we've seen in the past. And Toronto is obviously the biggest loser of people to other parts of Ontario. You can check out our podcast. It's episode number 201 to go through those numbers. And we talk about that at length. But there are three markets that they identify as within two hours of Toronto that are attracting the most people. These are the cities. Oshawa is number one, the biggest interprovincial net increase. Number two is Hamilton. Number three is Niagara and a close number four, not on top three, but number four is Ottawa. All of these regions are performing Toronto, outperforming Toronto in terms of home prices. Any mystery? So where is the craziness? Where is the frenzy? I don't know. Are we not talking about that right now? Better Dwelling would argue, though I don't agree, this is less of an urban flight and more of a flight from Toronto. We see that trend in the long term, but generally speaking, are we going to have an outflow outpacing at any point the inflow of migration? I don't think so. I don't think so. So if we're going to ask the question, is there no future then for Toronto? The numbers would say a John Pasalis tweet reads, sales for houses are up 45% with virtually no increase in listings. Crazy. This pushed average prices up 33% over last year. Median prices were up 30%. This is speaking about Toronto. Buyers are panicking and paying insane prices because there is a lot of them and not a lot of houses to choose from. We're seeing this divergence continuing between supply and demand. But I think that John's article from movesmartly.com really highlights the issue when it comes to this concept of a bubble. If in fact there is one, they're looking at Toronto suburbs, Durham, Halton, Peel, and York regions. In 2019, fewer than 30% of homes listed for sale sold for more than the owner's asking price. Fewer than 30%. In all four Toronto area regions, sales to new listings have trended up. In November, the SNLR, meaning the number going out versus that's coming on, went above 100% in three of the four regions. The tight supply between, look at this, tight supply has led to between 36% in York to 66% in Durham selling above asking. So from fewer than 30 to over 60% in a year, in a year. As it turns out, there's no better place to buy than where you can hear crickets chirping. And yet I didn't even tell a joke. <laughs> uh, you don't gotta go that far. Looking for cricket? Let's go to Brampton. <laughs> they got you covered. Home prices were appreciating at a relatively modest rate at or below 5% for most of 2019. Home price appreciation began to accelerate in the fourth quarter of 2019 and the first quarter of 2020 before cooling. This gives you some history. We started to see the craziness at the end of 2019, started continuing into 2020. And then thank you, thank you, oh, thank you, COVID put a little bit of a, a damper in the party. Well, since June... Home prices have been rising by double digits, with Durham and Halton house prices rising by approximately 20% over the past four months. Listen to that, 20% in four months. Listen to some of these stories. A Milton house that just sold this week for $1.165 million was bought by the owner in June for $890K. That's at 31% in seven months. That's quite a flip doing nothing. Literally no material renovations on that project. A house in Cliffcrest just sold for 27% more than what the owner bought it nine months ago for in April. What, like, listen to this. I, it's such a good question. Will we be seeing more of this type of speculative behavior? Quick flips for big short-term gains? We haven't seen that since the 80s. 
Here's another one. An Oakville house that sold for $1.2 million in December. The owner bought it six months earlier for $930. That's a 29% return. Not bad, man. He got almost $300K. That is $300K in a matter of six months. The owner's actually planning to rent it because why bother when you can flip for $270,000, as I said. The plan was to rent it, and now they're able to flip it for the two seventy dollars profit. My goodness. What's the risk right now to housing? This is the question. This is one of the risks that I see, and I think they painted it quite well here. He said this, I don't see eye to eye with policymakers who see rising unemployment because these are these are the, the, the downward pressures, right? Rising unemployment or a surge of foreclosures as the biggest risk. Those aren't the biggest risk. Instead, it is the risk that the bubble like appreciation we're seeing in the first quarter of 2020 pre-COVID is reinflating. It's already happening. It's already happening. I'll be honest with you. Like we, we see that in the numbers and it's, it's spectacular and crazy. <laughs> Uh, just like my podcast. <laughs> and as we have seen, as recently as the last four years, bubbly conditions in the Toronto area can lead to substantial losses for those caught in them and pose wider risks to the rest of the market and the economy. Let me ask you, based on this description, what seems like a bigger risk as an investor in the short term? Of course, long term real estate, you got your probably game plan on where you think things are going to go. But in the short term, what is the bigger risk? This crazy inflationary thing we've got going on in the suburbs or the downtown core that's kind of trotting along <laughs> in silence. <laughs> the other risk to Toronto's housing market is that the market for houses in downtown condos are moving in completely different directions, kind of, which makes the policymaker's job that much more difficult. Another great point. I love this insight. The Bank of Canada has turned into like a pro athlete, man, keeping the ball up in the air. It's like quiet tennis. Have you guys ever seen quiet tennis? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> it's like regular tennis, but without the racket. <laughs> and then so we look at what does the Bank of Canada say is going to happen with prices? And we're going to talk about interest rates in just a minute. Here's what they say. Housing market activity is expected to soften gradually from current elevated levels. So they're expecting a soft landing. Let's hope. Let's hope. All right, let's get into some hot topics here. We're going to start off with um, debt. <laughs> I, I always find that you get some tips into the hot market. And once we get into these hot topics, you start to get some insight on where things are headed. If you could, please download the last five episodes. If we haven't hit that 50 likes by the time you're halfway through our video, please add one to the pile. So we're going to start off with Canadians piling on mortgage debt as hot housing markets continue. Listen to this. Household mortgage debt increased 7.4%. That's an increase of 7.4% in November compared to a year earlier. I mean, we look back, we see November surpass October, which is at 6.9, September at 6.5, August at 6%. Like these are mortgage growths. This is crazy. It was also greater than that of any other month in 2020. But like, come think of it, like 6% household mortgage debt, 7% household mortgage debt. It's all the same. <laughs> it's just like the quiet kids and the school nerds, the science nerds, right? It's all the same. They only speak periodically. <laughs> all right. And interest rates, we just had the announcement. The interest rates are staying the same. Why is that? The economy, they say, should rebound strongly later in the year. Bank is forecasting growth of around 4% this year and close to 5% in 2021. We talked about it in the last podcast, and I still think it's very likely we could see, depending on what happens in the U.S., what happens in, in the West with with all these markets, there's a lot of factors being played in and, and the dollar, whether or not we bring interest rates down further, but we're starting to see some stability coming out of the Bank of Canada. And so they've left interest rates unchanged. We also 
have Joe Biden as the 46th U.S. president and calls on the Americans, I love this, to end this uncivil war. I thought that was hilarious. I actually heard him say that. I'm like, that is so clever. So clever. And hopefully this improves the Canadian-U.S. relations. I don't know. I mean, it was cool to see them. I don't know if you guys tuned in like I did to the inauguration. It was cool to see them using sign language, you know, taking a moment of silence for the COVID victims. That said, with us wearing masks, like all year, I feel like deaf people who need to read lips are on like a year-long moment of silence already. <laughs> that probably shouldn't be funny, but when I, when I put this together, it sounded kind of funny. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, equal offender, man. Equal offender. Okay. Financialpost.com had an article. I thought this was interesting. Canada's pension funds are on the hunt for pandemic real estate bargains. So at first I'm like, hey, they're looking up multifamilies. You know, they're, they're investing. Yeah, they're doing that. That's not what this article is about. Listen to this. Canadian pension funds are seeking to boost their real estate investments, betting the slumping property market will recover as the COVID pandemic recedes and office workers and city dwellers return to downtown properties. Guess what they're betting on? They're betting on offices downtown. How interesting. If you guys missed it, please go back. Listen to my episode with Dylan Suter. It's the one right before this one. And we discuss how big fish, like these pension funds, they really turn the needle. They can dominate the Ontario market. And we're seeing that happening in front of our eyes. CBC.ca had an article. Yes, there's a decline in COVID cases. No, it's not enough to end Ontario's lockdown. It's good to have good news. I mean, I'll look for good news where I can get it. Seven-day average is declining, but still too high to relax restrictions. The seven-day average fell, marking the 10th consecutive days of decreases from a high of 3,500. We're at about 2,800. Man, which is good. I think that's good. Uh, I, I like to keep track of what's going on COVID. I mean, that's that's the the underlying thing that's going on with everything, right? Is that not kind of the base of all of this? And doesn't COVID knock out your like taste and your smell? That's got to suck, man. I haven't had COVID, thank goodness. That's a sky high. I'll tell you though, 2,800, that's still a sky high number of people who can't smell. <laughs> so jokes for you who don't have COVID. <laughs> What's quiet, but smells like worms. <laughs> Bird farts. <laughs> oh, it's so stupid. Is there downtown condo fatigue or are condos on fire? Let's get into our last topic. We're gonna have some fun here. Is, so we're looking at condo fatigue. I saw this article from Globe and Mail. I'll just read for you the headline. I think it's a bit of a teaser. Toronto's downtown condo market hit by, quote, seller fatigue. Seller fatigue. You're in the market for three, four months. My goodness, can't sell it. I'm getting tired of this. We're so used to seeing the fatigue happening on the buyers. You're going looking and getting multiple offers. I can't find anything. Meh. Well, now it's happening with sellers, they say. Real estate agents in the GTA often talk of buyer fatigue. They can take hold with clients become worn down by fierce bidding wars, runaway prices. Now some, quote, seller fatigue is infusing the downtown condo market. They say many landlords who have been struggling to rent units have decided to try their luck at selling. But that has been challenging, too. And really, I'll be honest with you, the rest of that article goes on to talk about how hot the condo market is now. It's no mystery that there's some heating up happening we've been talking about for probably a month now, but there, I think it's the, the bird is out <laughs> trotting along. <laughs> so let's see what is happening. And there's a couple other points I thought were cool in here. They have a tip in here about renovations. Listen to this larger units, which tend to appeal to people who want to live in them rather than rent them out have been selling if they are move in ready. And you might ask why, and they say it right here. Rules vary from one building to another. Many condo corps are not allowing renos while the city is struggling the spread of COVID. Interesting. Quote, people will not be able to buy and close and start their renovations. Something that we don't often think about, but is definitely playing a factor in the types of product people are picking up. 
Now, what where this kind of goes is investors then are trying to time the bottom. There's this agent, Mr. Singh. I think we've actually quoted him in past articles too. I don't remember. The, I don't know the first name, but it's in the same article, Globe and Mail. Those who aspire to be real estate investors are or expand their portfolios are trying to figure out the optimal time to leap in. Quote, it's a tricky game to play, Mr. Singh says. It's very hard to time the bottom. Mr. Singh estimates condo prices downtown have fallen about 10%, but he expects to see a further decline of about 5%. Don't agree. I do not agree. I think the bottom is behind us. I'll let you guys be the judge on that. I think the numbers kind of prove that point. I think we're very close to a bottom, he says, because we're seeing things starting to turn around. And I, and I see that too. So I wanted to jump into not an article that clickbaits you, but one that gets into detail on how on fire the Toronto condo market is. In fact, Toronto Stories article reads, the first half of January shows the Toronto condo market on fire. <laughs> Speaking of fire, <laughs> my wife asked me if she could have some peace and quiet while she tried to cook dinner, you know, try to take a break or something. Easy. Took out the battery so the smoke alarm. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Man, I really got to get pre-prepared meals delivered subscriptions. <laughs> uh, she would hate me for saying that. I'm the mac and cheese and grilled cheese dude. She she cooks up a storm. That that was all baloney. <laughs> Here's what they say. We're talking specifically about how hot, how on fire my dinner is. No, <laughs> the condo market is. Perhaps it was, quote, relatively low prices combined with, quote, moderately low mortgage rates. I love this entire paragraph. That's why I'm going to read it. That inspired a return to action in the condo resale market or maybe vaccine implementation and the related promise of some form of normalcy on the horizon served as a motivator. Or it could be that after months of hesitancy to jump into proverbial water, it was simply time. Whatever the reason, January is proving that last month's big condo energy is holding strong as 416 sales have nearly doubled the activity of 2020 on a year-to-date basis. Guys, were we wrong? We've been telling you this for weeks. Condo market's starting to pick up. Starting to pick up. You're going to see these numbers. We're halfway through January. This is now hitting the news and we haven't even finished a month. I think people are getting smarter to the fact that we need to be tracking these things weekly, which is what we've been doing since mid-COVID because things change on a dime. And if you were just to look month over month, you miss that second half of the month. You miss the first half of the month. Everything gets skewed. You want to really have your finger on the pulse. And there was a Twitter post from Scott Ingram. This is the first time, this is posted two days ago, that condo months of inventory has been this low since last April 7th. And when you look at the charts between condo and freehold, freehold is sitting right now on the 416 at 1 1.8 months of inventory. Condo is at 2%. Guys, when we look back in the beginning of November, it was up pretty much four, four months. So it's got cut in half, in half. Man. Listen to this. Downtown condo prices are still down 7% year over year, but up 3.5% in just the past 60 days alone. So don't you go telling me how we still got price drops of 5% in the cards. Maybe, maybe. But would that not have already started once we start getting all these pressures of Airbnb running into the new year? Guys, we are up. Prices are going up. We need to not just, if we're going down 5, we need to go down 3.5 and then go down another 5. But to wrap this article up, so far, all signs point to an upcoming bustling moment in time for the condo market with the current action serving as only the beginning. Woo-hoo! Let's watch and see, man. Watch and see. We're going to start wrapping this up here. Please, if you could, download the last five episodes, hit that like button, get us to 50. Let's go. <laughs> Guys, thanks for putting up with me. I I'm having fun. I know some of you guys come for the content and you just, you just tolerate the rest of our content, but whatever. 
nobody's forcing you to stay here anyways. <laughs> I know sometimes my jokes are greeted with awkward silence. <laughs> you can hear a pun drop. <laughs> Get it? Anyways. I hope you guys had some fun. Hope you learned some stuff. Please uh, hit that notifications and we'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.